Well, welcome to Ephesians Lesson 7. This is entitled, Grow Up, Watch Your Mouth, and Imitate God. Woo! Praise the Lord. We live actually in a very exciting time. And I use the word exciting despite wars that are being waged, despite unrighteous governments that are doing horrible things, despite crazy weather patterns, all of it. The Lord is working his good plans and he is doing what was prophesied years ago in the midst of us. He's raising up an army of believers and even right here in sisterhood. It's happening. That's you. What he's doing is really important and I say very exciting. So praise the Lord. As we see what the Bible says and we apply it to our lives because the word of God is food to us, we grow spiritually. His word nourishes us. It helps us develop. It changes us, matures us. Aren't you thankful for the things you've learned this semester? Would you nod your head? Are you thankful? We should be so thankful. So, so thankful. And in order for God's good plans to be fulfilled and continue, in fact, the body of Christ needs to continue to mature. Paul told the church at Ephesus that she needed to grow up by watching her mouth and imitating God. And so this is where, as was just stated, this is biblical. What we're going to talk about is all straight out of the word of God. So we're going to apply the same truth that Paul told the church at Ephesus to apply. Hmm. I hope you came hungry. Because it seems to me like I'm about to present to you a really big meal. And we're not talking about milk and honey, but we're talking about meat and potatoes and spinach and Brussels sprouts. <laughs> so get ready. Are you ready to eat? Come on, ladies. Are you ready to eat? Come on. Here we go. Now is the time woo, to grow up. Ephesians 4, 14 through 16 says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We are to be growing as members of the body of Christ. We all know, don't we, that children can be easily led to believe what isn't true. Take Santa Claus, for example. Hmm? The tooth fairy. The Easter Bunny. Whether you were raised to believe these fictitious persona or not, we can all agree that the implausibility of these characters, despite their implausibility, kids who are told they are real will believe that they are real and live accordingly. And in this passage, Paul is cautioning people from believing what isn't real. He's cautioning believers not to be tossed all around by false doctrine and lies. Because here's the thing. When lies are believed as if they were true, people behave in ways to match those lies. 
I'm going to say that again. When lies are believed as if they were true, people behave in ways to match the lies. And Paul's words that I just read really apply to us today because the godless system of this world is spinning webs of confusion and lying to its inhabitants, saying all sorts of nonsense that is directly opposed to the word of God, the truth. So what is the remedy then for being tossed to and fro by the lies that are spun in today's culture? The remedy, the antidote, is being rooted in the truth. Amen? Amen? Listen, Christians won't ever mature by studying what they say. We won't develop deeper roots by listening to the news or the opinions of unrighteous people. That does not help us. We will only be protected from the gusty winds of false doctrine by reading and studying and receiving and taking to heart the absolute truth of God's word. And so this is the first step in growing up spiritually. You've experienced it this semester. You have probably been more inundated and engulfed in the word than ever before. Praise the Lord, which is why you've been growing like you have. We want to be those who prioritize reading and studying and receiving the word of God for ourselves. That is to say, not always relying on someone else to teach us. Jesus shouted out Mary's decision to sit at his feet in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. You know this story more than likely. Martha is hosting, gathering in her home. Jesus is one of her guests. And she's flitting about doing what hostesses have to do and preparing the things that need to be prepared. And she gets kind of, you know, frustrated with her sister. And she comes to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you even care? My sister isn't helping. Tell her, tell her to help me, Jesus. And Jesus answers to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary's chosen that good part, which will not be taken from her. Mary chose to sit at his feet and to listen to the word of the Lord. And Jesus says that's the one thing that is needed. That means it's required, it's imperative, it is non negotiable. Hmm. Ladies, he has things to speak to you. He has words of encouragement for your soul. Healing words for the wounds that you've carried. He has wisdom that you need. But unless you sit with him and listen to him speak, you will not receive any of those things. Step two in growing up spiritually is to become a vessel of the truth. That, that would mean that you are unashamed and bold enough to speak God's word through conversation with family, with coworkers, neighbors, even strangers. Make it your aim as you learn the word of God to direct those around you toward Jesus by sharing what you do know. We don't have to be Bible theologians. We don't have to have some big degree or repertoire or history. We have to just have a revelation that is given life and then would be allowed to profit someone else through the sharing of that revelation. Hallelujah. Be forthright in giving biblical responses when others pose questions. You know 
that a revelation of truth breaks the power of Satan's lies. I know that you've all experienced it. It's the same for those that you would speak to if you dare to share his word. John 8, 32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If we really want to affect people in the best possible way, then we will share with them the rock-solid truth of God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is, it comes from the throne. The word of God came from God, and it's profitable. That means it benefits us. It's profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction, for instruction in righteousness. This is saying that it teaches us what is true and then makes us realize what is wrong in our lives and then corrects us and teaches us to do what's right. So what? So that, the verse continues, the man of God, the woman of God may be complete. Don't we want to be complete? We want to be thoroughly equipped for this thing called life. And this is how it happens. People are struggling everywhere. But one word from heaven can redirect their steps and bring them into the kingdom. I just, I just propose today that it is time to stop cowering under the fear of man, trying to be popular. What does that even mean? And protect your reputation. Mm -mm. We're representatives of Jesus in a dark world. So determined to love one another enough to speak the truth, to gently instruct, to correct one another with a pure heart motive so that conviction and transformation and freedom can come to another. We grow up a ton when we receive correction and instruction as well. I've just been talking about issuing correction and instruction and the word of God, but when we receive it, we also grow up. Let's understand that conviction is a good thing. Say good thing. See, think of it. When you sense, when you're reading along in the Bible or you're hearing something being spoken, the word of God, you sense that, I call it like a scratchy feeling on the inside. It's just, you just have this knowing, like, oof, ooh, that's weighed down. I've been in the wrong. That word is correcting me. Listen, this isn't a bad thing. This is Holy Spirit trying to get our attention. He, he's not willing to let us go off in error. He doesn't want, see, he, he knows the destruction that is waiting. So he convicts in an attempt to redirect. That's what love does. Don't you do that for your children, those of you who are mothers? Didn't your parents do that for you to redirect you because they love you? God's not some mean, punitive, whatever. He, he, he's not, he's love, amen? So he's not, he's not, He's not anything but love. We are told not to despise his correction. That word despise, it doesn't mean hate. It means reject. Do not reject his correction. To not refuse it or regard it as unimportant or worthless. We're not to cast it away like some insect that's annoying. No, no, no. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 Say, my son, my daughter, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. I added this. It's not in your handout. <laughs> Nor don't detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Did you hear that? That's his motive. It's love. 
So the growth of the whole body of Christ is dependent on each of us receiving correction and also giving our own individual supply of truth. So let me ask you, are you doing your part to speak the truth? I'm not just talking about being honest. Sometimes we think, well, I'm honest, and that's great, and we're going to talk about that tonight too. But to speak the truth, what the Bible says, in love to someone. Ephesians 4, 16, as each part, that's each of us, that's you, that's me, that's each part, each member of the church, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Your supply really, really matters. Every time you share the truth in love, you are building up God's church. Every time, lives are changed for the better. And every time then, guess what? The world gets to see Jesus just a little more closely. Our mouths and the way that we use them are our responsibility. And this is why Paul tells us to grow up by paying attention to what we're saying. Have you ever played on a team or maybe your children have been on a sports team and had a really great coach who fostered unity and a healthy, inspiring, just victorious spirit? I believe that this is what Paul is attempting to do in this next passage. Listen to these powerful instructions. Ephesians 4, 25 through 31. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Whew. There's a lot there, isn't there? We're eating the food that is strengthening to us. What a game plan Paul suggests here. Let's break down this passage and take a look. When he says, for we are members of one another, you know what? He's really appealing to the camaraderie of the church. It would be likened to a parent who says, hey, 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 no, no, but, but, but we're in the same family. Let's be good to each other. Having been given a variety of personalities, I look out across this room and know that there are a variety of gifts and talents that God has ordained since the beginning of time in each one of you. All of us as his children really must choose to get along. And this begins by believing what God says. Again, what you believe impacts how you behave. We are members of one another. Remember this. We are all on the same team. The believers that you do life with at Sisterhood, guess what? You're all of you on God's roster. And every saint that attends a River Valley campus across the state of Minnesota and in Africa and Canada, we are all on God's roster. And what about the churches that are beyond River Valley, in our communities, in our state, the nation and beyond? Yep, you guessed it. We're all on the same team. It's called the church. And the church is to operate differently than the world does. How so? Well, let's talk about it. For one thing, 
There is no room for dishonesty in the body of Christ. People who are on the same team speak the truth to each other. They do what's required to maintain unity, and that includes exercising self-control. We need to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit and refuse to sin while we're angry. That's verse 26, by the way. God doesn't command us or tell us to do anything that he doesn't empower us to be able to do. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is absolutely a possibility. We partner with him. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that God's word makes a distinction between spirit and soul. That is, his word actually cuts. It, 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 the truth will reveal whether we're living a life dictated by our mind, will, and emotions, that is the soul, or in conjunction with the Holy Spirit and his guidance. The bottom line, I'm going to say this, we need to stop consulting with how we feel and start consulting with what God says. I heard one amen. We all should be saying amen. That's not a fun one, but that's, a, that's a, an important one. God says not to end a day without having resolved an argument or at least attempting to make amends. Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, say, that's me. Come on, that's me. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, that's me. Live peaceably with all men. We all know, don't we, that anger and unresolved conflict only festers over time when it's not attended to. It just gets worse, doesn't it? So letting the day end without you humbly making an apology or forgiving your offender or expressing your thoughts in a sincere, mature manner or at the very least saying, let's talk about this tomorrow. All of that is like flinging a spiritual door wide open and inviting the devil into your circumstance. Paul says not to do that. Mm -hmm. Church, the devil loves when you harbor offense. Remember, his mission is to steal and kill and destroy. And you actually give him access to wreak havoc in your life when you harbor unforgiveness and refuse to release offense. This is a spiritual truth. Keep in mind that phrase, as much as depends on you, means you control only your part. You see, your part is to forgive and do your best to bring peace to the situation. You are not responsible for how the message is received. You're only held accountable to God for your part of the equation. Mm -hmm. In that Ephesians 4.28, Paul exhorts us, he says, to stop stealing and go to work instead, making good things that can be offered to help those in need. Making good things. You get to think about this. What can you make? Well, you could make time, clear some time from your calendar to bless someone who needs help caring for their children. What else could you make? You could make a meal for someone in need or undergoing a stressful circumstance. You could make money to be able to offer to help others who are in need. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? The family of Christ, according to the word of God, is told to care for one another. This isn't the job of the government. This is the church's job. We're to go out of our way and help meet one another's needs. 
We're not to be selfish and live self-seeking, protecting our time. You know, oh, I just don't have time. Have you asked the Lord? Deciding I'm too busy, have you asked the Lord? Because I'm thinking that if you asked him, he would clear something else of your day to afford you the ability to help someone, to walk in love and extend kindness. What a joy there is when we partner with the Holy Spirit, when we heed his nudge and receive an assignment to go and bless someone, to help someone make spiritual progress. We should constantly be on the lookout for someone, people to edify and strengthen with your words, words that are spoken in prayer, words that are spoken in conversation. Our words are so powerful. Let's look at Paul's direct instruction as it appears in the Amplified Classic version, verse 29, let no foul, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this slowly. And we're just going to trust that he's going to convict and stir in a powerful way. So please listen, listen to the Lord as I'm reading slowly. Let no foul or polluting language, nor evil word, nor unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth. But only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others as is fitting to the need and the occasion, that it may be a blessing and give grace, God's favor, to those who hear it. Father, we pray right now. We thank you, Lord, for your word and your love that's attached to it. And God, we see this scripture. And we ask you to forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for using our mouths in a way that speak unwholesome words, God. Words that are not pleasing to you. Worthless talk. We humbly receive your forgiveness. And we pray, God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, our mouths would truly speak words of edification and life and help and love and encouragement to those who hear us. In Jesus' name we pray this. Thank you, Daddy. I just want to say that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We are in him. And so condemnation isn't what this is about tonight. This is a conviction. It's a rearranging. It's a, it's a realigning so that we can march on in strength with him for his glory and the benefit of those in, in our lives. Remember, we are carriers of his presence, the Holy Spirit. And of course, choosing to entertain bitterness and wrath and anger and all of these things, it, it's just completely out of alignment with his character. If we could imagine the holiness of God on the inside, and he has to make room for garbage that we allow in us. When I was first saved, there was a lot of garbage in me. And when the Holy Spirit moved in, I'm pretty sure he was like, um, excuse me, I don't have any room in here. <laughs> that's not biblical, but that's just how I picture it, okay? Because I, had, I was a sixth grade teacher in the public school, and I swore like a sailor. I mean, I had a potty mouth, if I can say that from the platform. It was not good. So much so that I was nervous that I was going to, like, accidentally swear in front of my 12-year-olds. It was real. Hmm? Well, I began to study the Bible, 
and read scriptures like what we just read. Wrote that one on an index card and hung it on the refrigerator. Holy Spirit, you got to help me, right? He's like, yeah, I'm trying to move this stuff out of here. He brought me conviction about my mouth, but I knew it was a good thing. He corrects me because he loves me. Would you say that with me? He corrects me because he loves me. That's our good daddy. And so in return, I promised him my obedience. And together, little by little, over time, what would happen is I was about to say, and then I had this stopper almost in my mouth. I thought, oh my gosh, he's working. And I get to yield to him right now and refrain from that. And over time, it's a progress. There's pro- it's a process. It takes, it takes time, right? But I gave up various expletives and instead started saying things like, hallelujah, and praise the Lord. Hmm? This is the power of God's wonderful word at work in his people. I want to talk just for a moment about Ephesians 4.29 as it pertains to the people of God who have been placed in authority. Pastors, teachers, leaders within the church. Here we go. Mature believers do not speak dishonorably about their pastors. They don't tell them their better ideas or criticize them when they're out of earshot. They don't murmur in the crevices of the building saying, I don't know why he doesn't do mm-mm-mm-mm. Why does she mm-mm-mm-mm? What do they think? That, no, they don't do that. Rather, they heed mature believers. Heed Hebrews 13, 17. Let's look at this. Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, continually re- recognizing their authority over you. For they are constantly keeping watch over your souls and guarding your spiritual welfare as men who will have to render an account of their trust. Do your part to let them do this with gladness and not with sighing and groaning. And before I move on from this point, I want to pause to say that unfortunately there are people who've been hurt deeply by spiritual leaders. And as your sister in Christ, if you are one of those people, hear me say that I am deeply sorry for your experience and your pain. Truly, so very sorry. I'm going to also invite you to take God's higher road and to forgive these people and not to gossip about them, but to entrust your healing into the Lord's hands. And if you are currently under some sort of spiritual leadership that's unbiblical or abusive or hurtful, please find another spiritual leader that you can trust. According to this scripture in Hebrews 13, 17, our spiritual leaders have the important task of constantly keeping watch over our souls and our spiritual well-being. And the Lord holds them accountable for this. We have to trust that's the case. According to Ephesians 4, 29, you and I are assigned to speak words that edify our leaders. And the Lord holds us accountable to this as well. Hmm? Wouldn't it please God if everyone just did what he asked them to do? Here's something to think about. A mature perspective is one that realized, it realizes it's really not about a particular leader necessarily deserving your honor because of what he or she did or didn't do, but rather it's more so about your willingness to submit to the word of God and do what he says. Amen. 
God is orderly. And when we get in order with his ways, there are blessings attached. I am so thankful that God loves us enough to teach us these things. Truly, I am so thankful. His instruction is simply a beautiful reflection of his love. Choosing to love like he does puts us on a fast track towards maturity. You want to be a mature Christian, then in addition, in addition to watching your mouth, we learn to imitate God by loving the way he does. So I have a question for you. <clears throat> what was the absolute greatest act of love to have ever taken place in the history of the world? John 3.16. Let's look at it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word loved is an amazing word. It's an unconditional love, a love by choice and by an act of the will. This word denotes unconquerable benevolence and undefeatable goodwill. Agapeo will never seek anything but the highest good for fellow mankind. It does not need a chemistry. It does not need an affinity or a feeling. Agapeo is a word that exclusively belongs to us, the Christian community. Hallelujah. What a gift. God loved so much that he did what? He gave. He gave. Love gives selflessly, seeking only the highest good for the recipient. And he gave what mattered most so that others would benefit. And you and I are called to do the same. In 1 Corinthians 13 and a little bit of 14, Paul writes this about love. He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let love be your highest goal. Even as adults, putting away childish reasonings and attitudes and temper, tra ta sorry, temper tantrums can sometimes be tough, but it is possible. Like most things, I found that it, practice will make perfect. Hmm? So we just practice. We start wherever we're at, and we practice setting aside childish attitudes, setting aside what about me mindsets. Hmm? What might this look like? I'm going to share just a few things I've learned over time as I've chosen love. First of all, I've learned there's nothing that I could be assigned or prompted to do that would be considered beneath me. And I'll share with you that years ago, I did an 18-month course. It was a Bible course that required the students to come dressed um, in like business or formal attire. And also then spend our break times scrubbing toilets and washing windows in the church that hosted this school. Well, initially, I grumbled. I'm just going to be honest with you. I did not think that it was a good idea for me to scrub toilets wearing my stockings and my high heels and my dress and all the stuff. And, and I felt taken advantage of, and I was snarly about it. But then I realized and saw in Scripture that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And so I learned, you know what, I really can demonstrate God's love for God's people by doing these tasks no matter what I have on my body. It really didn't matter. Another thing I've learned is I've just chosen to have an attitude of love is that feeding a family is an integral, necessary part of parenting, and I'm honored to be able to do this. There was a season I found myself running to the grocery store 
oh my goodness, countless times throughout the week, sometimes, you know, a couple times in a day to keep up with the food needs of my three teenagers. And I was snarly about it. I threatened to buy a cow to keep up with their intake of milk. You know, I became super annoyed with all these cub runs. And then one time I just minded my own business bagging the groceries at the end of the, at the, end of the lane. And um, the Holy Spirit reminded me about Proverbs 31, which talks about the virtuous woman providing food for her household. Hmm. And instead of murmuring, I chose to release love into my family while hauling that food from the cart to the trunk, to the garage, to the kitchen shelves and refrigerator. He reminded me that my teenagers were just bigger versions of those babies that I so desperately yearned for. Mm -hmm. And he taught me that I get to provide them food and I get to provide consistency for them. That's love. Thirdly, I've come to learn, and you know, we could go on and on all night, but I just picked these three. I can agree with whoever coined the phrase, you can be right or you can be happy. <laughs> yep, because usually in heated discussion, don't we know the fire blazes out of control when somebody says too much? You might imagine that would be an inclination that I'd have. I like, to, I like to talk. And over time, I've learned to pour water on that fire instead. Why, or how, I should say, by simply being quiet, refraining from saying the last thing. Now, understand, I don't get this right every time. I'm still in process. But I've really learned the power in self-control. And as I continue my journey with Jesus, I'm finding myself more apt to bite my tongue, which we know, don't we, that by refraining from saying one more thing, Strife and chaos are diffused, and calm and peace return, and hearts are more easily reconciled. Yes. In its simplest form, growing up is about being humble. Say humble. Love is selfless. See, it was pride at work that said, I shouldn't have to scrub toilets. I got a dress on. It was prideful. It was pride at work that said, I have more important things to do than to run back and forth to the store, back and forth, back and forth. That was pride. Me, 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 me. And it was pride that said, I have to have the last word in an argument to prove that I'm right. Mm -mm. If we want to imitate God by walking in love, then we need to humble ourselves like Jesus did. Philippians 2.8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Humble means to make low, to debase, to lower oneself. Describes a person who is devoid of all arrogance. Whatever childish attitudes the Lord stirs you to put away, trust him and do it. I care for you. I want you to grow. I want God's best. His grace is sufficient. If he's stirring an attitude that has been wrong, I, I just encourage you to give it over to him. And at the same time, be prepared because this will cost you something. You see, loving others comes with a price. We can ask Jesus about that. It isn't easy and it's not convenient and it usually doesn't feel good because you know what? It means dying to self. 
Here's the thing. In writing to the church at Ephesus about imitating God's love, Paul speaks of making an offering and a sacrifice to God. Be kind to one another, he says. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Remember, God forgave you in Christ. You couldn't earn it, and you don't deserve it. Still he gives himself away. He did it for us, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. When Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, that little word as means to the same degree. And he's calling us up to a higher way of living, to walk in love to the same degree that Christ loved us. This means we love others no matter what. We just decide that no matter how crabby they are or forgetful they are, no matter how tired or frustrated we are, we choose love. It means that it doesn't, it doesn't have to make sense. It, has, it doesn't have to be logical. No matter what they say, no matter how silly it seems, we love others. Love gives of self. It's an offering and a sacrifice. As we wrap up, I want to share with you the definitions from Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary with regard to these words, an offering, that which is presented in divine service. We present to the Lord an offering. We don't present animals, bread or silver today as they did in the Old Testament, but other valuable articles. Is your time valuable? Is your energy valuable? Yes, we present it to God as a return of thanks for his favors to us. That's an offering. It's something that is given over to him. A sacrifice is also an offering made to God and in Old Testament days by killing and burning some animal upon an altar. But again, it's about expressing thankfulness for his benefits. We have so much to be grateful for. Surely we could present an offering. Surely it's not going to kill us to sacrifice what we want and to adopt what God wants instead. See, when you do what God wants, you sacrifice your wants. When you give of your time, it's a sacrifice. You don't get it back. That's why it's a sacrifice. But it shows God our gratitude for all that he's done for us. And so when you sacrifice your time or your emotional energy or your desires, your preferences in order to bless others, think of this. It's like, our, it's like your selfish nature has been killed and it's burning before him. And it brings like a sweet fragrance to the Lord. There is spiritual power in his love that is released through the laying down of our lives. It's the most powerful, effective force in the universe, the love of God. And we get to be his vessels of love. How extraordinary is this? Mature children of God, that's you. I'm speaking that over you. Mature children of God are equipped to carry this heritage of the Father everywhere they go and bring about his good plans as a result. We are on mission with him 
as children of God. So may we continue to grow up, hmm, to watch our mouths and imitate the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. You're beautiful.